Thank you so much, ladies. Join me, if you would, to begin with tonight in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. As we prepare our hearts for the Lord's table this evening, I'm going to consider two passages. First is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the classic passage that we use when it comes to the celebration, the commemoration of the Lord's table. We'll begin reading in verse number 23 and down to verse number 26. And then if you want to go ahead and find Hebrews chapter 9 in your Bibles, we'll be going there as well, Hebrews chapter 9. You know, we'll look at verse number 24 there in just a moment. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse number 23, as he's given instruction about the Lord's table to the church at Corinth, For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as oft as ye drink this, eat this bread and drink this cup. And then this is the phrase I want you to notice. Ye do show the Lord's death till he come. It's a powerful statement when we think about what is taking place as a local church. We gather together and we partake of the elements, this local church ordinance that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to us, that uh, as we do this, we are showing the Lord's death. The word show that Paul uses here, if you remember, is an interesting word, and it's the idea of, uh, in other places in the New Testament, is used to talk about proclaiming or preaching. So I want you to get that, that as we partake of the elements tonight, the cup that symbolizes the blood of the Lord Jesus and the unleavened bread that pictures the sinless broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are proclaiming his death. I think about young children here who have yet to trust Christ as Savior, maybe haven't been baptized yet, who will ask the question as the bread and the cup go by, what does this mean? And it's an opportunity. And parents, it doesn't bother me a bit if you lean over and answer a question like that. That's the point of this. We're showing the Lord's death till he come. When we think about his death, obviously that in part is the gospel, but it's speaking of his suffering, his selflessness, his uh, separation from sin, his substitution. Uh, We're to show the Lord's death. And what's interesting, you remember the context, the church at Corinth was divided. They were being very selfish in their positions, and as a result of that, there wasn't unity And here they were gathering together to partake of the Lord's table, which is meant to, among other reasons, symbolize unity in the local church. And they're partaking of this Lord's table, and they were not unified. They were being selfish. And he reminds them that in partaking of these elements, we're proclaiming, we're preaching the Lord's death, his suffering, his selflessness, But I want you to notice and key in on this phrase with me. We're doing this. Would you say the last three words of that statement? Till he come. Till he come. I've shared with you before how I remember as a boy when my dad would officiate at the Lord's table in the local churches where he pastored. 
that when he would have the seats for the deacons who would help to distribute the elements, that I always included an empty seat representing uh, the absence of the Lord Jesus Christ with the anticipation, as he told his disciples, there's a day coming when he's going to partake of this supper brand new with them in the kingdom of God. And uh, as we think about the Lord's table this evening, I want us to focus in on this statement here, till he come. As we partake, we're showing the Lord's death till he come. And that's the title of the message. Let's ask the Lord's help. Father, would you strengthen us as we take the next few moments here to prepare our hearts for the Lord's table? God, I pray that you'd give us your wisdom. I pray that our hearts would be moved to adoration for the Lord Jesus Christ, fresh and new. I thank you that he's a wonderful Savior and a precious Redeemer. And the better we get to know him, the more we love him. Thank you that his love for us is perfect. And that we would keep ourselves in that love, the reminder of it. And that we would be known as his disciples to the whole world by our love one for another as we love each other like Jesus loves us. So Lord, we ask for your help tonight. I pray this in your precious name. Amen. Till he come, the Lord's table, by Paul's description, is to be associated with anticipation for the Lord's return. And that's been a challenge to me as I've thought about our being together this evening, is that one of the key elements that we're to keep in the forefront of our thinking as we partake of the elements as a church body is the anticipation of the Lord's return. Eager expectation. When we partake of the Lord's table, and these are necessary parts, we'll often focus on examination. Paul talks about the importance of examining yourself and making sure that you're right with God, you're right with each other, that there's no known sin in your life, that you've dealt with that. And the implication is this, is that if you haven't, then you need to deal with it or refrain from partaking. Okay. And so it's important for us to think about examination also the qualifications, salvation by grace through faith, and then the position of our church is baptism by immersion is qualifications for partaking of the Lord's table. And those things are important for us to consider. But I'm afraid, and, and we do this, we get technical, we get theological, and we need to do that, but sometimes we focus on the examination, the qualification, and we overlook the anticipation. Folks, Jesus is coming again. So even as we partake of the elements here in just a little bit, we're showing, we're preaching his death, but we're to do so with a looking, with a longing, an eager anticipation for the Lord to come again. This anticipation of looking for the Lord to appear, even as we partake of the Lord's table, believe it or not, is rooted in an Old Testament ceremony and feast called the Day of Atonement. And we're going to look at the author of Hebrews' explanation of that here in just a few moments. But I want you to notice this, that even as the Lord's table and looking for the Lord's appearing as we partake of the Lord's table is uh, rooted in a certain sense, rooted in the Old Testament Day of Atonement, I want you to understand something, that the Lord's table 
is an ordinance, is a ceremony that is infinitely greater than the Day of Atonement. Okay. It's an infinite improvement on the Day of Atonement because of the work of our New Testament great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to have a few technical elements to this. I, I was thinking about this. I taught theology for several years, but I am no theologian. And uh, technical messages make me nervous. And uh, so I'm saying that right up front just to, just to kind of relax me a little bit and maybe relax you. But I'm going to do my best with the Lord's help to bring us to a conclusion here. I believe it will be an encouragement and challenge to you. As we think about the importance of anticipation, uh, I was reminded, and, and, and including that as an element in our thoughts on the Lord's table, I was reminded of a conversation I had just yesterday with the mother of a teenage girl, and we were discussing a, what was originally meant to be a surprise birthday party that they were planning for their teenage daughter. And uh, somehow in the course of interactions and planning, the teenage daughter found out about it. And the surprise was blown. But then the mother told me this. She said, but that's okay because our daughter likes the anticipation more than the surprise. How many of you would fit in that category? You don't like surprises. You'd rather, you like the anticipation more than the surprise. May I say that as we approach the Lord's table this evening, we need to do so with anticipation of the soon return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. Now, that being said, I want you to join me in Hebrews chapter number 9, Hebrews chapter number 9 and verse number 24. As you're turning there, just a reminder of the backdrop of the book of Hebrews. It's written to a second generation of Christians who were originally Jewish in their ethnicity. Okay, these were Hebrew Christians. And because of intensifying persecution... The author of Hebrews is addressing the fact that some of them were being tempted to go back into the practice of Old Testament Judaism in order to avoid persecution. Okay, everybody with me on that? They're, in order to avoid the pressure of persecution from their family, from their culture, their society, they were thinking, you know, we've accepted Christ, but maybe we can just kind of tone down on the Christ thing and we can go back into the practice of the Old Testament uh, law and Judaism, the Levitical system, just to go along to get along. And the author of Hebrews says, impossible. Why? Because Jesus is better. Okay, Jesus is better than Moses. He's better than the angels. He's better than Joshua. He's better than the Old Testament sacrificial system. He's better than the Levitical priest. He's better, period. Jesus is better. There is nothing to go back to. And in fact, he would say, we are not of those that draw back. <laughs> There's nothing to go back to. By your very profession of Christ as Savior, you were in a sense saying that the law and its place in your life has been satisfied and therefore rescinded. It has no more claim over your life. Because Jesus has fulfilled it. Jesus is better. The treasure of the church my dad pastors several years ago. And by the way, the illustration I'm about to give is no reflection on this man's character. Uh, he's a good man. One of the best I know. Faithful. Man of integrity. 
But to several years ago, he wanted a new truck. But he didn't want to deal with all of the new whirly gigs and lights and bells and whistles that come pretty much standard with most new vehicles. He didn't want to deal with power windows and the fact that the motors may burn out. He didn't want to deal with air conditioning and the fact that it may need, it need recharged. He didn't want to deal with power seats. He's, he said, I don't want to deal with the motor, brake, or the motor on that power seat breaking when the steering wheel is clear up in my chest, you know. And so he factory ordered a brand new Chevy truck with manual windows, manual transmission, lever action seat, no air conditioning. And you know what's crazy about it is he, uh, it was a Chevy. Some of you Ford guys might, that was the first mistake right there. Okay. He had to pay more for that truck stripped down because apparently the factories at Chevy, they don't have any machines set up to do that regularly. He had to pay more for that factory-ordered truck with everything to go back to the way it was in the old days. And these Jewish believers were thinking, you know, we could go back and maybe it'll be better. No, uh-uh, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. I want you to notice Hebrews chapter 9. We're in a portion of the book of Hebrews where the focus of the author is the superiority of Christ as it relates to the office of the high priest. They were thinking about going back under the ministry of the Levitical high priest. These Jewish believers were. And so one of the comparison and contrast that the author of Hebrews shows is that Jesus, as our great high priest, is a better priest than the Levitical high priest. Notice verse number 24, Hebrews chapter 9. Now, let me just tell you, I'm not going to go into great detail here. I'm going to read through this passage with a little bit of explanation, and then we're going to focus in on one aspect and then bring this to a conclusion before we partake of the elements of the Lord's table. Verse number 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands. His ministry is not in an earthly tabernacle or temple. He rent the veil of the earthly temple. Okay. His ministry is not the earthly temple. Okay, So Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands. Notice this, which are the figure of the true. The word figure there, a synonym, is the copy of the true. Here, here's the point. The real is in heaven. When it comes to the mercy seat, when it comes to the temple of God, the real is in heaven. The earthly temple was a copy, a temporal material copy. It was a picture. Uh, the author of Hebrews, to use an illustration we mentioned this morning, the author of Hebrews would call the law a shadow of things to come. The earthly temple was a shadow of the reality. The real is in heaven. And that's where the work of Christ's great high priestly ministry was accomplished. Okay. And by the way, that's, you know why that's so wonderful? is because the work that he did is out of reach of any taint of sin. It's out of reach of any corruption. 
And so he did not enter into ministry in the holy places made with hands, which are the figure of the true. But notice verse number 24, the second half, into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God. Would you say the next two words for us? Those are two of the most beautiful words in that whole passage. He appeared as our substitute, not just our representative, but as our substitute in my place. Not just on my behalf, but in my place. Verse number 25. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. Two different contrasts here. In the Old Testament Levitical system, the high priest on the Day of Atonement, every year on the Day of Atonement, he had to go back in and make atonement in the holy place every year. And at that, he didn't offer his own blood. He offered the blood of bulls and goats. And by the way, look up at verse number 22 in the text. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin. I was thinking about chapter number 10. Chapter number 10, and I think earlier in chapter number 9, the Bible makes it clear that the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. So here is this Levitical high priest who every year on the Day of Atonement, he's got to go back in and do it again. He's got to go back in and do it again. He's got to go back in and do it again. And at that, he's offering blood that could never take away sins. It's pictorial of the coming precious blood of Christ that is the only blood that can take away sin. Verse number 26. Jesus, in his work of offering... Didn't have to do it every year, over and over. Verse number 26, For then must he have offered, often suffered, pardon me, since the foundation of the world. But now, I love this, once in the end of the world, the idea at the consummation of the ages hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Our great high, you talk about a contrast, our great high priest, the Lord Jesus, didn't have to keep going in every year, every year, every year, every year. He went in once 2,000 years ago, and the work was accomplished. Okay. Verse number 27. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered. He died once to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him he shall appear the second time Without sin and to salvation, there's the idea of reference here. Without reference to sin. In other words, when he comes again, yet future to us now, the, the, look, the longing, the appearing that we're longing for, that we're to keep in mind even as we partake of the elements tonight, till he come. Okay. When he comes, it's not to deal with sin again. When he comes... It is to bring ultimate salvation. It's the redemption of creation. It's the salvation of the nation of Israel and the glorification of church-age believers. Okay, that's why he's coming again. Well, there's much more that could be said about this. But there are some tremendous and moving parallels, but really those parallels are marked by greater, even greater differences as it relates to the comparison between the Levitical high priest that these Jewish believers were thinking about going back under that ministry and the great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. The differences to the Hebrew between the Levitical high priest and his work on the Day of Atonement and the great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, and his work of putting away sin one time on the cross, they were infinite differences. Just think about these parallels. 
in contrast, really. The Old Testament high priest on the Day of Atonement, as you study Leviticus chapter 16, he had to offer sacrifice first for himself and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did not need to offer a sacrifice for himself because he was sinless. In fact, he was the sacrifice. What a seeming paradox that he was both the high priest and the lamb. The Old Testament priest had to every year offer again on the Day of Atonement because of the deficiency, the insufficiency of that Old Testament sacrificial system over and over. And if you do the arithmetic, it was close to 1,200 years if you remove the time of the Babylonian captivity and times when there was no temple. 1,200 days of atonement. But the Bible tells us that this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down. The work was finished. No more need for repetitive sacrifices. By the way, this is, a, this is an answer to the belief of the Roman Catholic Church that the Mass is the ongoing sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says something completely different than that. Okay. The Old Testament high priest was the only one who could enter, not just on the Day of Atonement, but any time. He could only go in three times on one day in the 360-day year. Nobody else could go in ever. No one else could enter the Holy of Holies but the Levitical high priest and that at one time in the year. But because of Christ's work, those of us who've trusted him as Savior, we are believer priests and we ourselves have access to the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God, through the work of Christ. What a motivation to pray, amen. The Old Testament Levitical high priest offered the blood of another, the blood of bulls and goats, which could never take away sin. The Lord Jesus Christ offered his own precious blood as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. Many times we as Christians are accused of being bloody Christians. My dad was visiting a man one time and he said, oh, you're one of those bloody Baptists, he said. The man said, the blood offends me. My dad said, you know, in a certain sense, it offends me too because when I think about the blood, it's a reminder that that blood had to be shed for the washing away of my sins. The Old Testament Levitical priest was a part of an earthly ceremony that was a copy of the heavenly reality that in a sense, year after year, would create a growing longing by its insufficiency. I thought about it in a simple way as it relates to manna. I finished reading the Pentateuch this week. Can you imagine <laughs> 40 years of manna? First couple of years, it might have been nice. But don't you think that as the years rolled on, <laughs> the Jews got to looking forward to something different than manna? 
I thought about this when they occupied Canaan land. Can you imagine what it was like the day the manna stopped and the Bible tells us in Deuteronomy and Joshua, they ate of the old corn of the land. You want to talk about a change. As it relates to the Old Testament Levitical system, it was a copy that was insufficient in and of itself. And the Bible says that. It had a purpose, though, and one of its purposes was to create anticipation. A longing for something better. We give a little boy or girl a toy doctor's kit for Christmas. And uh, they use it, but does it do any good? It might build an anticipation but nothing like when they get their education as a medical doctor and can actually use those tools in the work of healing. We give a little boy a, a carpenter's set of plastic toys, but it's insufficient to build a house. It's insufficient. It can build anticipation, but very quickly you realize the insufficiency of it. You need real tools. The Old Testament Levitical system created anticipation, but in and of itself it was insufficient when it came to dealing with sin. But what did it do? It created a longing for a sacrifice that would be so sufficient that no more sacrifices ever had to be made again. Okay. And so the Old Testament Levitical system was an earthly ceremony, a copy whereas the work of Christ was based in heavenly certainty and reality. The Old Testament Levitical priesthood, when a priest died, would experience a lapse in the intercession of the high priest. But the Lord Jesus Christ is the great high priest who ever liveth to make intercession. There will be no lapse in his intercession. I thought about this, too. The Old Testament priesthood was representative. I was thinking about Representative Harris representing the people of his district. Apparently, a majority of people in his district in South Carolina said, you know, he generally reflects our views. Let's elect him to be our representative in Columbia, South Carolina. But I want you to understand something. A representative is not you. And when that Old Testament high priest went in, he was a representative. He was a sinner himself. He was a representative of the people. But that was not the same as the people actually themselves being in the presence of God. But the Lord Jesus Christ is infinitely more than a representative. He is our substitute. So I want you to get this. I want you to get this. In him... His perfect life substituted for the fulfillment of God's perfection in my life. And you say, Pastor, that just isn't fair. I know, it's grace. In Jesus Christ, not just as representative, but as substitute, His death counted for my death. In other words, His death on the cross was the same as my death to sin on the cross.
The morning he came alive out of the tomb, the third day, in him as my substitute, his resurrection was the same as my resurrection. That's not fair, but it's grace. Praise God for it. In the Old Testament system, when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, do you remember the Old Testament description of the high priestly garments? It was mandated that bells were sewn into the hem of his garment. And a rope was tied to his leg. So that as he went in as the representative of the people, having first made sacrifice for himself as a sinner, and then to go in as the representative into the Holy of Holies to sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat, in that place where only one man could go one time a year, those bells jingling and the people would gather in nervous anticipation outside the tabernacle or the temple. Because the possibility was real that if the sacrifice wasn't accepted or the priest wasn't right, God would strike him dead. And they might have to haul him out if the bells quit jingling. People waited, if you would, in a sense of uncertainty. But I want you to notice, as we think about partaking of the Lord's table, and as often as we do, we're showing the Lord's death Till he come. We are not waiting with uncertainty. We're not waiting with nervousness. We are waiting in full confidence. Get this. That the blood has been accepted. The sacrifice is sufficient. The debt is paid. And we know the high priest is coming out of the Holy of Holies to get us again very soon. Did you notice in this passage, and let me just mention these, and then we'll transition here in just a moment. Three times the word appear or appeared is used in this text. And there's an interesting time reference with each. And I want you to notice this. They parallel the three appearances of the Old Testament Levitical high priest. So there's something of a parallel, and yet also the reminder that our great high priest and his appearances is infinitely superior to the appearances of the Old Testament priest. Notice, if you would, verse number 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself. What's the next three words? Now to appear. That's speaking of a present appearance. Okay, now to appear. In other words, the Lord Jesus Christ is in heaven right now, appearing as our intercessor on our behalf. That is his present high priestly ministry. Okay. Drop down to verse number 26. For then must he have offered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world, or at the consummation of the ages, hath he appeared. This is talking about the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, his incarnation and his substitutionary death. God was manifest in the flesh for the work of the cross. 
Uh, I won't go into great detail on the, the phrase there, once in the end of the world, but it's the ideas I've mentioned, the consummation of the ages. You've got the, the age of innocence. You've got the age of promise. You've got the age of conscience. You've got the age of the law and Jesus coming in what we often call the age of grace. Remember, grace and truth came by who? Jesus Christ. And he comes to bring to fulfillment all of the longings of all of the ages. And we're kind of nearsighted too, aren't we? We think, man, we fail to realize that before Jesus came, at least 4,000 years of history had transpired. And now it's been another 2,000. And so we've been, according to the Bible, we've been living in the last days, theologically speaking, since Jesus came and ascended back to heaven. Okay. But he appeared at the end of the consummation of the ages to put away sin. It literally means to banish sin by the sacrifice of himself. And then notice verse number 28. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him, he shall appear, shall he appear. Future, the second time without sin into salvation. So in verse number 26, there's the reference to Christ's past appearance. Verse number 24 is the reference to his present appearance, where he is right now. Verse number 28 is a reference to the prospect, his future appearance. When he returns from the holy of holies in heaven to bring us back to heaven with him. So here's the conclusion. We're in a kind of parallel to the three appearances of the Old Testament high priest as it relates to our expectation, our anticipation of the Lord Jesus Christ. The parallel is this. There were three appearances on the Day of Atonement that marked the ministry of the Old Testament high priest. And in the work of our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, the author of Hebrews names or identifies three appearances. Except our expectations for the appearances of the Lord Jesus Christ are marvelous and much more superior. The first appearance was his incarnation and the work of the cross. The Old Testament high priest, his first appearance before the people is when he would come to make the sacrifice at the altar of burnt offering and then would take of the blood there. The second appearance is when he would appear before the Lord for the people in the Holy of Holies and sprinkle the blood of atonement on the mercy seat. The word appear that is used in verse number 24 is a unique word. It means this, that Christ in his great high priestly ministry is always in and there's no veil. The Old Testament high priest went in in a cloud of incense to protect him because of his fallen humanity, to protect him in the presence of God so that he could not see God, so to speak. But the word appear that is used here is the idea that Jesus, because he was the God-man, is the God-man. He didn't need any veil of protection. Now, here's what is amazing is that in him, I'm granted that same access into the presence of God. And so we're in this now, right now as church age saints, we're in this intervening period between the second appearance and the third appearance. 
But there's a great difference. Just as the, or in a contrast to how those Old Testament Jews would stand in nervousness and uncertainty outside the Old Testament tabernacle or temple, wondering if for that year the blood was going to be accepted. You and I, as we partake of these elements tonight, it's symbolic that the blood has already been accepted. (laughs) And that the work has already been done. Now, he's in heaven on our behalf and is our substitute now. As a matter of fact, remember Paul said, we are seated together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But even as we partake of the elements that are a testimony to the fact that nothing needs to be added to the work of Christ. Okay. Even as we do, the Bible anticipation or the Bible lesson for us tonight is this, is that we should do so in anticipation, looking for him to come. Looking with eager and excited anticipation. And the author of Hebrews even uses that word. He said, unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Unto them that look for him. Do you know who that's supposed to be? Every born again child of God. It is to be a characteristic of your life and mine that we are the ones who are looking for him to appear. I heard a preacher say years ago, we should be so consumed with looking for Jesus Christ to come that Christians should have bruises all over their shins from bumping into things. I'm not sure you quite have to be that literal about it. But he's coming again. And so as we partake of the elements tonight... Let's do so with our focus on this matter of anticipation. Trusted Christ as Savior, followed the Lord and believers' baptism by immersion. Anticipation in your heart for the coming of Christ. Let's show the Lord's death till he come. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for, Lord, I know we've gone in deep on some parallels and some thoughts, but I trust that the importance of this anticipation and the superiority of what we have as New Testament saints has been clear tonight. And Lord, while we recognize the Old Testament system, uh, we call it inferior and recognize it as inferior, we understand that it was precedent, we understand that it was creating an anticipation, a longing for that which would satisfy, which would fulfill. So we thank you all the more, even as we read the Pentateuch in the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, we thank you all the more for Jesus, the high priest. We thank you for Jesus, the perfect lamb. We thank you for Jesus, the one who tabernacled, who dwelled, who templed among men. We thank you for Jesus, who fulfilled the law perfectly as our substitute. We thank you for Jesus, who died as a lamb without spot and without blemish as our substitute. We thank you for Jesus who raised from the dead on the third day and his resurrection counts as our resurrection. We thank you for Jesus who is coming again at any time. 
And I pray that our heartbeat would be, even so come, Lord Jesus. And we pray this in his name.